0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrictchurch. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? No one is doing anything. All right, there's one, and I'll let you work that out here in a minute. Um... How's y'all's week been this so far? Yeah, kind of. Kind of like this. <laughs> well, that's appropriate for uh, for the sermon today. We're going to be in Mark chapter six, and so if you um, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Mark chapter six. We're going to be looking at a passage um, of Jesus and storms. And uh, I think we can, we can all agree that, that we definitely go through storms in life. Um, I think we refer to that phrase a lot of just storms in life. And um, for some of us, we can probably dwell a little too much in the fact that we're in storms of life. And really, all we're doing is just kind of hanging on to the aftermath of storms that have happened in the past. Um, but then all, also at the same time, we can kind of predict storms that are coming in the future, at least maybe... Not for ourselves, but we're pretty good at predicting storms in other people's life. Um, usually, when, when it kind of comes to, I, I can't believe so and so is, is going to do this, or I can't believe they're going to buy this, and like that's not going to go well for them. I can't believe they're dating so and so. Like, and we're, we're always kind of quick to look at other people's situations and say, this is not going to work out well for them. Um, but the reality is, when it comes to our life, like we usually don't see it coming before we're in it. Um, and, and that 's kind of what I want to talk about today is is not necessarily what the storms are in our life, but more so what is God doing amidst the storms that are going on in our life um, and, and and again, they can be a ton of different things. It could be circumstances with with finances that you 're going through, it could be circumstances with health and sickness and Just me trying to get over this voice thing for, like, the last two weeks, I feel like. Um, It has felt like a storm just because I I can't sleep well. Throughout the day, I'm just constantly coughing all the time, and and it's just not fun. Um, Like, I'm wanting to get to the other side of of this storm. Um, But at the same time, like, there's other areas where you could have friendships that go through storms where there's relational tension between two people, um, and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that um, there's, there's a lot of things, just even spiritually, there's times in which we can feel like, uh, we're just, we're just not in a good place. Like, like we feel like, God, where are you? Like, are are you doing work in my life? Like, are you maturing me? Are you near? Um, like, because I don't feel you. I don't feel your presence. I feel dry. I feel empty. I, I feel like I'm not maturing along in this thing called sanctification. Um, so there's so many different categories that we could group storms into. Um, but what I want to show you today in this passage is what God is is actively doing, um, kind of regardless of whatever the storm is that we're actually going through. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we're going to be seeing Jesus kind of reveal himself to be the Lord of storms. Uh, and the beauty of this passage is that it's actually a dual-purpose passage, uh, meaning it reveals him to be both the Lord of, quote-unquote, the storms of life, but also the Lord over physical storms. I mean, he's, we're going to be seeing a story of disciples getting in a boat and going across the waters and a storm coming, and Jesus just, with his authorities, tells the storm to stop, like a calm storm, like you are no longer going to be a storm. Um, So we not only get to see him be Lord in our situation, but also exercise his divinity and his deity over creation. Um, So we're able to kind of draw from this two things that should uh, develop within us an astonishment of who he is and what he's actively doing in all of creation, including us and our situations, as well as creation around us. So turn with me to Mark chapter 6, um, as we see Jesus interact with his disciples in the midst of a storm. Mark 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 45, and I'm going to read through 51. Mark 6, 45 through 51. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Father, we ask that as we've opened up your word, and as we've begun to read that your Holy Spirit would already be moving in our hearts and our minds to give us the illumination that we need in the Scriptures to be able to see you for who you are. God, we want to see that you are Lord over our life. We want to see that you are Lord over creation around us. God, we can we can see it in front of us, but I don't want to just see it with our eyes and hear it with our ears. God, I want you to take it from our knowledge and put it into our heart so that it springs forth from us praise and adoration for who you are. God, I don't want this just to be merely facts that we consider, but I want this to to, to fuel our faith to trust in you more and more every single day. Regardless of what's going on in our life and what's going on around us, we trust that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. So God, ground us, anchor us in who you are and what you do and what you're showing us in this passage today. For it's in your name we pray and for your joy. Amen. Four truths are revealed in this passage about the Lord of the storm that, that's going to lead us to trust him amidst our own storms. And so look at for the first verse again. Verse 45, he says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Did, did you notice that it says he made his disciples get into the boat? Like, I love that truth. Like, the first thing I want us to see here is that Jesus never promises that following him is going to be safe. But what he does promise is that there's going to be security amidst trials. Because as you see here, um, well, let me back up. One of the reasons Jesus did this, one of the reasons why he put them in the boat to go to the other side is that this was because the people, including the disciples in first century, were in danger of domesticating Jesus. They were in danger of turning him into a local God who would give them what they wanted rather than recognizing him as the savior that they needed. So so they were in danger of creating this kind of false personhood of Jesus in which they were going to put him on an earthly throne and say, you're going to be our means to getting everything that we want Rather than actually seeing Jesus for what he came to do, which was to ultimately rescue them out of the storms of life, which was ultimately rescuing them out of their sin, Jesus needed to show them that they needed a Savior. So Jesus knows what's about to go down, right? Like He's Jesus, all right? So he's making them get into the boat, and what he's saying is you're getting into the boat, and you're going out on the sea, and you're going out there alone, and something bad's going to happen. But I'm doing this because I need you to see that you're in need of a Savior. So he makes them get in the boat. Just when things seem to be going well, that's when our Lord sends us to the other side. And to follow Jesus is to literally cross the sea of life, but to cross it in obedience. It's trusting him when he says, I want you to go here or I want you to go there and I want you to trust me along the way. I'm telling you to go here because there's going to be an other side, even though the process might be brutal for you. The greatest place we can be is when we are dependent upon Jesus, when we're trusting him. Jesus puts us in boats knowing that storms are going to come to provide opportunities for us to remain dependent upon him. So that's the first truth, that the Lord of the storm sends us into the storm for what purpose? To show us how he's going to get us to the other side. He's not promising that there won't be storms, but he's promising that I'm never going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. Also notice that he made his disciples get into the boat, and again it says, to get to the other side. Rescuing the disciples out in the waters was not an afterthought for Jesus. Like this wasn't him saying, the waters look good, so I'm gonna go ahead and send you guys out there. And then once he goes up on the mountain and sees the storm happening, he's like, whoops, (laughs) like my bad. Let me come out there and help you out. Like he knows what is going on. He put them in the boat with the full knowledge that they were going to get to the other side. Now, whether or not they heard that or believed that, we don't know. But what we do know is that they were terrified out on the waters, probably blaming Jesus for the fact that they're in the boat, right? Because he made them get into the boat to go to the other side. But regardless, Jesus did this. And sometimes people ask me, why plant a church in Indianapolis? And, and honestly, sometimes I just want to say because Jesus made me do it. <laughs> like that would be the easiest thing to say was, We're trusting him. Has this been an easy process so far? Absolutely not. This is when we first planted a church down in Miami was not an easy process. It was two years that were brutal and in a lot of ways felt like a storm for us as a Gibbs family. Um, and so then for us to then do it again would be insane. It would be like these disciples, once they get to the other side, all of a sudden just being like, oh, let's go do that again. Like, let's jump back in and go back. And, but the reality is, is, is the only way that we can come back to it is Jesus made us do it. We're trusting him. We're, we're being obedient to him because we know that dependence upon him and, and obedience in him is what's ultimately going to lead to the satisfaction that we're longing for, the joy that we want to find in him, in him alone. Our second truth to consider from this text is that Jesus um, is the Lord of the storm and is above the storms and sees us as he's praying. Look at it in verses 46 through 48. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. A couple of points from these verses. I love the fact that regardless of what's going on on Jesus' calendar, he always finds time to pray. He always finds time to pray. Like Jesus knows that on his calendar tonight at about 3 o'clock in the morning, that's the fourth watch of the night, at about 3 o'clock in the morning, the disciples are going to be in in, in complete and utter distress amidst this storm that's sort of created out on the sea. Like I don't know about you, but if if I know that before I go to bed at night that my best friends are going to be in a car crash at 3 o'clock where they're stranded, I don't think I'm going to go lock myself in a door and start praying. Like, like that's not what's going to happen. Like, like, I'm probably going to try to warn you. Hey, because if you remember, like, there's two time frames that are mentioned in this passage. The fact that when he put them out into the waters and went out, it was about evening when he went up on the mountain to pray. And so while he's praying, he knows between evening and 3 a.m. the storm is happening and he doesn't even move until about 3 a.m. He doesn't go to them until about 3 a.m. So he's letting this thing happen while he's up on the mountaintop praying. Regardless of how difficult our circumstances are it's imperative that we are in prayer with the Lord Jesus here is not worried about what's going on with his disciples because his heart is resting in the father's will like Jesus knows that what's going on out in the waters is so distressful that it's imperative that he spends time in prayer that it's so life-threatening that it's imperative that he spend time with the Father in prayer. Jesus is tuning into, he's tapping into, he's abiding in the Father because what the disciples need more than anything is for Jesus to be abiding in the Father and the Father abiding in them so that it creates the opportunity for Jesus to abide in the disciples for them to have access to the Father. That's what his entire prayer in John 17 is all about, is is Jesus saying to the Father, Lord, I am abiding in you and you are abiding in me. Therefore, as I abide in them, you are abiding in them. The disciples in their storm need Jesus operating as a high priest abiding in the Father. And that's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. He's actually showing us here that he is our great high priest who's making intercession for us while we are in the storms of life. This is the exact same thing that when regardless of what the stress is in your life or whatever the circumstance is in your life that you're going through, Jesus is actively interceding for us as a great high priest. Constantly doing that. Romans 8 even says that not only is it Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us with groanings too deep for words because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. I mean, you can just picture the scene with the disciples being out on the water. What, What do they even know to say? Other than like, someone please help us. We're dying here. And Jesus is up on the mountaintop praying before he goes out to them making intercession for them, showing us, as it says, Jesus was watching over them, shows his constant care for us. This is the Savior who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, even though he's not physically there. He is still there. The third truth is the Lord of the storm walks on the storm, passing by us, coming to us, commanding our safe passage through it. Look at it in verses 48 through 50. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The last part of verse 48 says, he meant to pass by them. Um, When first reading that, I thought to myself, "That's kind of funny. As if like Jesus was, kind of like how you are sometimes in a grocery store, like if you're trying to get in and get out really quick and you see someone that you know and, and you don't necessarily want to spend the 20 minutes catching up with them, and so you kind of duck into an aisle that you probably shouldn't be in, like me going down a feminine products aisle. Um, like, like, like this is this is what, like I first read this and I thought, did Jesus literally, like they're out there being tossed in, front like in the waters and Jesus is like, like I'm ducking by, like I'm, I'm passing by these guys, I don't want them to see me. That's what I first thought when I looked into this. But this is actually not what's happening. It's actually revealing a huge theological truth for you to see in this story, and I'm going to get to it. They happen to see Jesus walking on the water, passing by them, and they're terrified for they think that they're seeing a ghost. Um, And in the Greek there, it's actually some spirit water, a spirit of water that they're thinking that they're seeing. And it says they cried out. And the Greek, the phrase is, is to literally scream from the depth of your throat. So like this wasn't just like oh, like I'm, I'm, you kind of startled me there, Jesus. Like no, this was. They were terrified for their life. That not only was the storm there, but now they're having to deal with some kind of spirit animal in the water coming after them. Whether it's Loch Ness, I, I don't know. But like they are terrified for their life. Here in this passage, they scream thinking he was some sort of water spirit. But then Jesus responds, and this is where it connects with why he passed them by. Jesus responds, take heart, it is I. Or literally in the Greek, he's saying, I am. I am. This is Jesus dropping a a, a divinity bomb here on them. This is him passing by them, them being terrified for their life, and Jesus literally saying, I'm God. I'm God. What do you have to be afraid of? I'm God. Do not be terrified. I'm God. Jehovah, I am God. This is a reference of Jesus actually fulfilling a story where God passed by Moses and hid him in the cleft of the rock because Moses could not see God in his full glory. But now in the person of Jesus, we are able to see the full representation of who God is, the invisible God, in visible form, as we look upon Jesus. That story is in Exodus 33, 18 through 22. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, that's Jehovah. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by you. For Peter, now in the boat, Jesus was there. Literally the image of God. We, we see Peter and Moses sort of um, swapping positions here where Moses was unable to see the fullness of glory of who God was, was because it would literally incinerate him to be able to see God in his glory. So God kind of stiff arms um, Moses into the rock, covers him with his hand, passes by him, in order to save and protect him. But now we see Jesus fulfilling that role of God passing by us, us seeing God as Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. We see him, but not only do we see him, but we see Jesus Now coming to us, not hiding us in a rock, but now coming to us in order to literally get in the boat with us. Bringing salvation. This is Jesus being God incarnate. Jesus being God in the flesh coming to us. And this is the fourth truth is that the Lord of the storm is the Lord of salvation and is in the boat with you. He calms the seas, bringing peace in the midst of it and guides us safely to the other side. Look at it in verse 51. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Like you, really, you want Jesus in your boat, right? Like I don't think anyone in here would say, I, I, I don't want Jesus in my boat. We know we need him in our storms. What I am fearful of is do we really know who he is or do we just want the Jesus that we've heard of in our boat? Like, do we know him? Do we know him? Do we really know that Jesus, when we say Jesus, when we say Jesus Christ, when we look at these stories in the gospels, when we see Jesus interacting with sick people, when we see Jesus interacting with dead people, as we will see next week, as we see him interact with people who are oppressed by demons, when we see him interacting with sinners of sinners, with tax collectors, are we seeing Jesus as I am? Or are we just seeing him as a good person who taught some good things and did some good things? And so therefore, we kind of want him in our friend group. And so we'll therefore make some time for him throughout the week whenever it's convenient for us. Or do we see him as the Jesus who is walking on water, showing his authority and his ownership over creation? Do we see him as literally... Spitting a word and a complete storm just stops. Like, I don't know the last time that you walked outside, like, right now, just walk outside and tell the rain to stop and it listens. Do we see him with that authority? Do we see him being able to walk into your life and say you're struggling with a certain sin that you cannot overcome yourself and so I'm going to make it stop by maturing you in my presence, by making you more like me? Do we trust him that he's that way? Do we believe that Jesus does that? Because again, my fear is is that we don't see the Jesus that's in this story. My fear is that we know Jesus like we know certain people on Facebook where we have facts about them. That we see Jesus on a weekly basis kind of scrolling through a news feed where we'll capture little glimpses and stories, whether it's a song that we hear or a sermon that's preached or a verse that we're memorizing, but we're just gathering facts about him, but we don't know him. And what I be my know him is not facts, but facts that move to heart and it's transforming us. We're willing to give up anything and everything for another taste of who he is. Do we know him like that? We're guilty of not wanting to see his glory like Moses prayed for. God, show me your glory. We're guilty of belittling and diminishing the glory and deity of Jesus down to a good man who taught some good things a couple thousand years ago. We study Jesus, the king of kings, in order to pass some type of spiritual test as if we're studying Aristotle to pass a test on philosophy. Like We're doing it in order for others to think we're good. We just gather facts and call it growth, but we don't know him. We don't know him as Lord. We don't know him as I am. We don't know him as the God who holds my very existence in his thoughts. Like you realize that? Like, like me being able to stand here for my muscles to be able to allow me to stand for, for my vocal cords to somewhat work today in order for me to speak words is Jesus holding all that together in his thoughts. And at any moment, he could sink it out of existence and I'd be gone. Could can literally incinerate me at any moment because he's Lord over creation. Like Jesus holds all authority in his identity. And yet we come up with excuses every single day why we don't want to spend time with him. like And I'm with you. Like that blows my mind. Like the the more that I put these words on paper or an iPad, like the, the more I think about it and look at it, I, I I am pleading even in my own heart, why are you so stupid? Like why do I? And I'm just being honest with you. Like. Why do I value eight hours of sleep versus seven hours of sleep in order to spend one extra hour with him in prayer? Why is that so important to me? Like why do I care so much about watching a TV show for an hour when I'm sacrificing an extra hour where I could be spending it with the Lord? Like the God who intervenes and is watching over my entire life from point A to point B, knowing that there's going to be so much mess in between, is watching over it, is interceding for me is caring for me, is walking out over every single bit of it and is passing by me on a daily basis in order for me to see His glory and I'm distracted by what's in the corner of the boat. I'm distracted by whether or not it's it's salt water or fresh water. I'm distracted by whether or not it's a it's a category three or a category four hurricane that we're in. Like like what is it that we're actually in? I'm missing Jesus pass by every single day. I pray that we, including myself, would let the doubt turned to astonishment as it did with these disciples in the boat. Here's the beauty, guys, is the more I look at this passage, the more I'm able to rest in the fact that I screw it up every day and the fact that I miss him every day because when they first saw him, they thought he was a ghost in the water. Like the first time I see Jesus throughout the day, I might not recognize that that it's him moving, that it's him walking by me. And, 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 and Jesus is willing to say, oh, oh, whoa, 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 it's all right, it's me, you're good, calm down. And then he brings a peace. He doesn't necessarily always remove, like they're still in the sea, right? He calms the storm, but he might not remove you from your location. He might not remove you from whatever the sea or the trajectory is of your life. But he comes in to bring his presence. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. All you need is me. All you need is me. And he does that for us. Guys, that gives me rest, knowing that I'm going to screw it up tomorrow. I'm going to put things above him. I'm going to elevate things above him. I'm going to continue to do that for the rest of my life because I'm a sinner. But because he's also made me a saint, I can rest in knowing that he's also actively coming to me. Pursuing me, running after me, chasing me to say, no, 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 no. It's okay. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. This passage is is really meant to show us what we've been talking about this entire time in the Gospels. and, And as it started with John the Baptist, what was John the Baptist's main point? Does anybody remember? Anybody? Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. John the Baptist, entire life, devoted. Don't miss Jesus. I must decrease, he must increase, don't miss him. You can miss me, don't miss him. That's what he's saying right here. I'm passing by, don't miss me, don't miss me. I want to close this sermon out by taking sort of a different route and give some advice in light of this passage. And here's my advice. <laughs> don't be an Eeyore. Yes, I'm referring to the animal on Winnie the Pooh, the donkey. Don't, he's a donkey, right? I'm not fresh with my illustrations here, but don't be an Eeyore. Now, what do I mean by that? Don't be an Eeyore. Y'all know those people, right, that, that when that you don't ask them how their week's going because you know it's going to be 20 minutes of woe is me. It's going to be 20 minutes of, of the storms. It'd be like these disciples getting to the other side, as Jesus has promised that they would do, getting to the other side, and all they focus on is, dude, you should have seen this wave, man. This wave crashed over the boat, threw me up against, broke my arm. Like they remember, like they were treading, they were, they were heading painfully across this. This was not a pleasant boat ride for them. It kind of reminds me of the last time I went deep sea fishing. It was not pleasant for me. This, this, I could picture them getting to the other side and just sitting there focusing on how it went wrong and not talking about the fact that Jesus was walking on water that Jesus then dropped the bombshell of, I am, it's me, the Lord, the Lord of the Old Testament, the Lord of the New Testament, the Lord of all creation, that Jesus then calmed the storms, providing them salvation in the moment. And then not only that, but that same Lord then climbs up in the boat with them and is going to carry on the rest of the journey with them. Like there's so many things for them to be able to get excited about and go and share with others, but how many times do we focus on what was wrong? The storms. This is why I talk about the fact that like testimonies, yes, are you who you were before Christ, how you met Christ and what Christ has done in your life, but if you give a 30-minute testimony and 25 minutes are about who you were before Christ, it's not a testimony. Like sometimes we focus too much on the storms that are at hand that the most people know about us is the junk in our life. We don't share enough about what God is doing to mature us, how God is growing us, how we've been praying for something and God came in and answered it, how God came in and actually was God how he actually showed up and calmed the storm. And maybe this is, I, I, I don't know really where this bursts out of except for sin loves sin, sin loves destruction, sin loves pain, sin loves torment, sin, like sin loves to dwell in depression. And so maybe that's something that's welling up within us to say, Like the thing I want to share with others is just my pain, like my my stress. And I'm not saying that we don't do that. We need to do that. Because there there should be a healthy balance there between the way that we share life and the gospel. Means that the way we share life is, yeah, I've got junk to deal with. But I also want you to see that God brought me through that to the other side. And I want to show you how he brought me through that to the other side. I don't want to just share my junk. I want to share how God matured and how God showed up and how Jesus was Jesus to me. Like, I want to hear those stories, whether it's in our missional groups or whether it's in discipleship groups or if it's us having lunch or whatever it is. Like, like I want to hear the pain and I want to hear the turmoil, but that's not all I want to hear. How's God answered? How's he he come in and provided? How's he calmed the storm? It's kind of easy for us to, to 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 live melodramatic and not come to the fact that we got to the other side. Like we got to the other side. One of the best people that that I see in Scripture that balanced this out really well is David. David is is just a beast when it comes to um, so, so just circumstances in general. I mean, he is a ridiculous and, and varsity sinner. Like, he's really good at sinning, all right? Like, I, I don't know how many of us in this room have committed adultery and then after committing adultery um, has the husband of the woman that we committed adultery with been murdered. So like he's really good at sinning, but he's also considered to be a man after God's own heart. And so you see this kind of war, this toil within his soul throughout the Psalms in which he's kind of like schizophrenic. Like, like you'll, you'll see on one page, he's, he's lamenting, where are you, God? Like you're nowhere in my life right now. Like everywhere I look, I don't see you anywhere. And then you turn the page and he's like, everywhere I go, there you are. Like, like David, I feel like is, is what we all actually want. Not the sinning part but what we want in the, in the way of expressing our emotions when it comes to, Lord, where are you? Literally, waves are crashing over my boat. You put us in this position to begin with. God, where are you? Are you going to show up? And then he shows up, and then he gets in the boat, and all of a sudden I can feel like we could then all of a sudden be like, man, I'm getting to sit across from Jesus. Like he's actually, like, you, you got that or Jesus. I got this or We're going to paddle this thing together. I'm steering a boat with Jesus. Like we get, to, we get to navigate through life with both of those extremes, right? We get to navigate through life with the freedom to say, Lord, this sucks. But then we also get to say, Lord, this is amazing. This is amazing. And guys, that's where I want to land with this. The disciples cried out from the depth of their throat. uh, This storm is pretty legit. But then at the same time, landed in a place where they were absolutely astonished by the fact that Jesus showed up and that he calmed the storm and that he got in the boat with them and he says, I'm here. I'm here. You're good. I want to close by reading this psalm. Psalm chapter 9. To kind of give you a picture of what this looks like. Um, and, and, and honestly, praying through the psalms is probably one of the best things that you can do to help see the balance of what this looks like in life. Just pray through the psalms. There's 150 of them. Take one a day. You'll pray through them for a, a, a half a year. Just pray through the Psalms. It'll help you. It'll train you. It'll disciple you on how to express your lament for the storms that are in your life, but also how to express your praise and adoration for who Christ is as Lord. Listen to this, Psalm 9. David speaking says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. Like he's not ignoring the fact that he has enemies. He's got enemies that that turn back. Like they're coming back after him but he says they stumble and perish before your presence for you have maintained my just cause you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment you have rebuked the nations you have made the wicked perish you have blotted out their name forever and ever the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins their cities you rooted out the very memory of them has perished when 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 david's talking about enemies and nations like You don't realize that when David was king, every nation around him was after him. Was after him. Not only that, but like even his own family was after him. Like one of David's own sons comes in and dethrones him as king. Like talk about the ultimate like stab in the back. This is what's happening in David's life. But he says in verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. It doesn't matter how long I'm enthroned. What matters is the fact that the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the city, the cry of the afflicted. Like you could just hear like in his own praising and adoration of God, he's saying, I'm oppressed, I'm afflicted. But praise you O Lord, for you sit enthroned. Verse 13, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made in the net that they hid and their foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He, a, he has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall always be forgotten and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. This is David just pouring his heart out there. I'm oppressed. I'm afflicted. Nations are after me. Nations are against me. Men hate me. They want my head on a platter. Like David is saying, my circumstances are pretty brutal here. But Lord, you are worth praising. You are worth adoring. I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. You are my stronghold. You are my strength. You are where I'm going to find refuge in the moment of trials. Guys, that's what the invitation is. That's what the invitation is, is that it, it, it honestly, it doesn't matter what you go through. And here's the reality, is what you're going to go through is more than you can handle. It's more than you can control. It's more than you can bear the weight of because Jesus needs to show us that we need a Savior. We need Him. We need Him. So I can't promise that when we leave from this place that it's going to be health wealth and prosperity but what i can promise is that for those who are trusting in christ that you will get to the other side you will get to the other side and the way that you're going to get to the other side is because jesus enters into the scene god incarnate i am the glory of god in visible form steps into the picture and says i will never leave you I will never forsake you. I'm here. And what I love about the end of Romans 8 is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from him. Shall persecution, shall tribulation, shall thorns, shall flesh, shall sin, shall anything separate us from the love of him? Absolutely not. He even goes on to kind of blanket it. Anything in all of creation, cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Not the love of what I have for him, the love Christ has for me. Nothing can separate us from that and that we can trust in. That is what gets us to the other side. Let's pray. God. Oh, you're holy. You are good, God. You're so good, God. It's so easy for us to focus on the storm that is around us. It's so easy for us to to just constantly um, complain and lament. But God, one thing we need to recognize is that the fact that we're in a storm is not absent of your authority. It's not absent of your will. God, you put us in the vehicle that brought us through it, that brought us to it. And God, we're in it in order for us to see that we need you to remain dependent upon you. And that's a good thing for us. God, that's not a punishment on us. It's a grace that you provide for us because only in the position of dependence upon you will we receive the ultimate satisfaction and longing that we're so desperate for. There's only joy to be had when we're in a place of dependence and trust and reliance on you and you alone. So God, thank you for the storms. Thank you for trials. Thank you for tribulations. Thank you for loss. Thank you for deaths in family. Thank you for financial crisis. Thank you for relational tension amongst friends. Because in those moments, the only thing we can do is cry out for you. The only thing we can do is say, Lord, please come and please help us. And when you do, Oh God, that grace and that mercy is so sweet. It lands on our minds, on our hearts, on our souls. And it shows us how faithful you are. It shows us that you will hold up your end in completing what you began in us the salvation that you deposited in our lives at the moment of our justification, at the moment where we met you, God, you are bringing to completion through your son, Jesus. You are bringing us to the other side. And we thank you for that. God, may we see those moments of how you do that. May we see those those daily times where you're passing by us And we're able to see you in your glory. May we see those moments throughout the year where you're showing up and you're bringing a calm, you're bringing a peace amidst the storm. May we see those moments in our lives. May we see the milestones of where you are showing up. And to be honest, God, where you've always been. You've always been there. It's just we're now seeing it. So God, help us to not just focus on the storms, but help bring us through it so that we can see you. And in seeing you, we utter praise and adoration and worship for who you are. May we share that joy with those around us. Guys, you're in storms. Hey, you're in storms. I know everyone's in storms. God, may may we share with them the fact that you are the Lord of the storms and that you provide refuge and salvation. God, as we enter into just this next time of reflection, each one of us just take some time to see Jesus in the storm. We may not be in a storm right now, but we've been in storms. May we see how you brought us through those storms. God, you're good. Just show us your goodness. Give us the ability to praise you. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church.com. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at the